this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thanks you so much for having us. We're really, really happy to be here. Um, It's so good being in Australia. And this is our last Sunday, actually. We return on Wednesday. So um, it definitely is a church that feels like home. So I just think that it's a special church that creates that kind of atmosphere of welcoming and belonging as soon as you walk in the door. So just congratulations on just such a great culture. And uh, we do really feel like there is a divine connection and please come visit us in Albuquerque and stay in touch. Like, there is more to come, I know. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Yeah, thanks. Ah, multi-waters. This is great. Oh, and put these here in case, so people go down under the spirit and not under my breath. Uh, You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Is this team going to be up here the whole time? That's kind of cool. No, you can go down. That's all right. Uh, so, so great to be here. You guys are wonderful. Um, we've just been really enjoying our time uh, here and getting to know the pastors here. Thank you so much for having me out. I totally believe it was a divine appointment that Chris and I uh, got together. And um, it's just, I just, you can't make this stuff up. It's just amazing how God moves. Um, man, I just felt such, a, such an amazing presence here this morning. And man, my heart was just so heavy. You know, God, God was just reminding me. There's just some significant things. Like a year ago, we, you know, I met Pastor Chris. And then, uh, how many have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? In that movie, there's a man uh, named Lonnie, a, a kind of like a hippie who, who received Christ and made Christ his everything. And because of that, God used him significantly in three different moves of God that is really rare. I mean, I've studied revival history for most of my ministry time. And for someone to effect three moves of God is amazing. Um, You know, Lonnie was used uh, incredibly uh, during the hippie movement, which was later uh, the Christians who got saved in that movement was called the Jesus movement, if, if if you remember. And then and then he brought all these hippies to not not this massive mega church, not this chain of churches, but at that time it was just one small church called Calvary Chapel. And he came on staff at that church. That church exploded. And then here's the thing. On Mother's Day, 1979, he goes to another church, and he was pastored by a man named John Wimber, and he says, come Holy Spirit. And it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit can just move. And that church ended up becoming the vineyard church that had gone throughout the world. And just God just moved powerfully. And so I don't know what God's going to do. I'm just want to be obedient. I just want to follow what he's doing. I know it's not me. I know it's all about him. So let's just pray real quick. Father, I just thank you for divine appointments. I thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you that you're so good and that you're a good God. And so I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, come. Be in our midst this morning. Do whatever you want to do. Set us free. Lift up your name on high. Just bring us into a close relationship with you. If you want to heal, heal this morning. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just really wanted to uh, share a, a, 
a message that had been on my heart, um, and I just think it's, it's the Lord. I think it's appropriate. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been in a place like myself where you're, you're trying to go forward. You're doing everything you think you can to go forward in the Lord, to, to kind of journey with him and go to the next promise of your life. And it's like it's not going forward. It's like you're stepping on the gas. The car is on. You're, you're stepping on that gas, but it's like in park. It's just the engine is revving and you're not moving. Have you ever felt like that? Like everything in your power that you feel like you can do, you're doing, but it's not working. Have you ever felt like that? Now, you guys can be really um, interactive with me. Feel free to. In, in America, like I, I, the first time I ever preached in Sweden was like to 700 pastors and ministers. And, and I was preaching my heart out. And I was just, and they just, they're like statues. They're like this. And then afterwards, they come up to me and they're like, that was an amazing sermon. I'm like, you could have told me. You could have said something, you know. Then I went to an African-American church in Philadelphia, like the next weekend. And they're like, preach it all, Brother Paul. They're standing up, they're hooping and hollering. And I'm like, yeah, this feels good. So feel free. All right. Yeah, all right. So, so. Uh, what I want to talk about is not necessarily what is spoken about in revival. And, you know, really, when I was just in worship, I just, you know, I just pictured that whole courtyard just full of people wanting to come into church. That the, the, that the harvest is going to be so plentiful that every church is going to have this issue. But I just feel like your church is just going to be, people are going to be waiting to come in because of the presence of God here. And uh, how many know the presence of God can be everywhere? He's, he's omnipresent, but many times he will manifest a tangible presence of God. And I just feel it here. So I'm just, I'm just praying into that promise right there. But, but if, we, if we talk about the promise alone as Christians and never talk about the process, we'll never get to the promise. And I've been that in my, in my whole life, and I still find myself going from process to process. But I, I just want to talk about maybe not as popular a topic, the process. Now, if I talk about the process, and I don't talk about uh, how to manage the process, which is waiting. It'll never go for you. It, it'll never work. We have to talk about waiting. No one wants to talk about waiting. I mean, waiting's boring. Waiting doesn't even like... I mean, how do you even show? I mean, no one really wants to bring that up. The, the process, to talk about the process and managing the process, we have to talk about managing waiting. They go hand in hand. They go uh, like diet and exercise, right? No one wants to talk about that. But diet and exercise is like, is like the, managing your process and waiting. They're not fun. In Proverbs 8, 34 through 36, it says, um, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For those, I think it's the next one, for, for whoever finds life, finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. And let's go to the next one. But those who fail to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. Now, oftentimes, we don't realize the importance of waiting on the Lord. And if we just make Jesus our supplement and not our Savior, we'll never really truly be satisfied. See, if you're just going to encounter Jesus when it's convenient for you, it's like a supplement. Like, I'm just going to encounter him when I need him. You know, people, I, one of the messages of my life is... Um, is about God's peace, because I just think it's so undervalued. 
And it's so powerful. God's peace is a powerful weapon. The original uh, etymology, the original meaning of shalom, the peace of God. You know, shalom is made of four different letters, which are also pictures in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is pictorial as well as phonetic. Like the alphabet, the English language is phonetic. But the Hebrew language, the pictures mean something in and of themselves, by themselves, in addition to them as well as being phonetic. And the word shalom is made of four different pictures. The first picture is, um, is a, uh, the first picture, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm drawing the ma- ma- massive blank. It's a, it's like, it looks like jagged teeth and it means to destroy. The second picture um, is a shepherd's hook and it means authority. And the third picture is a nail, and it literally means to attach. It's an attaching letter. And the fourth picture is a bunch of waves. And when you said shalom in the Hebrew language, in the ancient Hebrew, it literally meant to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Which means that peace was meant to be powerful. So when you pray for peace for someone, you're not praying that they would feel confident in themselves, that they would feel rest, that they would just be still. Literally what you're praying is that God would destroy the authority attached to chaos in their life. Because his peace is powerful. And so when when we talk about adding Jesus into our life, we're, we're talking about adding him more than a supplement, but as our savior. So when I, when, I, when I talk about peace, I often say, people say, Paul, I pray for peace. I don't get peace. I try to pray for peace and it doesn't come to me. And I, and I said, well, to tell you the truth, I have to tell you a really embarrassing story about myself. You know, I was raised in an Italian-American family. My last name is Martini. We don't drink a lot of them, but, you know, we, I always say, always shaken, never stirred. You know? Oh, no, never shaken, always stirred. That's what I say. But... Um, Italian-American family. We love cooking. My parents love cooking. I'm not a very good cook. They never taught me. But um, we were actually famous for making meatballs. Not like we had a, a restaurant, but my parents had this family recipe. They would make these awesome meatballs to the point where we would have people in our church and our community who would invite us over uh, and, and ask them to make 100 meatballs for a party or 200 meatballs for a wedding reception. And so there's my family making meatballs all day. And, so, and we moved out, outside of the city of Philadelphia to uh, the suburbs. And uh, I went to a new school, met some new friends. I was in middle school. It's like, a, I don't know what, what intermediate for you guys. We have to do different words in America. And... Um, and so I, I start to meet some new friends. And after a few weeks, you know, getting to know these really good friends, one of them's Tommy Frazier. I still remember his name. He, he, said, he said, hey, Paul, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, what? He goes, your parents own like a meatball shop or like a hoagie shop, a sub shop kind of thing? I said, no, why? He goes, because you always smell like meatballs. I'm like, what? And I, I go home, I smell my clothes. Oh, my gosh, I do. It's a, I mean, I say to this day, I, you know, Italians aren't arrogant. They just love wearing cologne to cover up the meatball smell. You know, that's... That's why we wear a lot of cologne as Italians. You don't realize that. That's the real. But, but the reality is, is that I, when so I, said, I tell people that story because oftentimes we treat Jesus like a drive through window, ordering something when we need it, when the reality is we need to take residence in the kitchen. So that when you leave, you smell like him. You can't get him off you. And so the reality is, is when we treat Jesus as a supplement, it's not, it's not really giving him your life for his life. It's what we did in communion. 
And so the, the, the reality is we need to continue to wait on the Lord when we're talking about process. There's a lot of things that go on about waiting. Isaiah 40, 31, a very famous verse. Many of you have already know it, but it says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, a lot of us read all that other stuff, but the very first thing is what? Waiting. Now, a lot of us don't know what waiting looks like because it's, you know, and it's never really illustrated because it's boring. I mean, I remember when um, I was in 2016, uh, God had, uh, it was, no, it was, it was um, probably in like October, early November, and I'm, I just got done speaking. I'm in the back. I'm talking to people, and, and, and as I'm walking out, I hear the Lord tell me, Paul, I want you to go on a fast, and uh, I, I don't know if you enjoy fasting, but uh, me personally, I don't enjoy fasting. A friend of mine says there's nothing fast about it. It should be called slowing, right? Because as soon as you start fasting, you're like waiting for like, like normally I don't think about my next meal, but you know, usually I'm like, I would be having lunch right now. You know, I'm like constantly, you know, and so fasting, I, and, and I'm the kind of person that if I started doing something over and over, I could make a tradition out of it and lose its actual meaning. So I always told God, because I have friends who like fast one day every week or 40 days every year and things of that nature. And I, I just don't do that. I just say, God, whenever you want me to fast, I'll fast. So all of a sudden, 2016, uh, God says, Paul, I want you to fast. And I said, okay, when? And uh, he said, November 30th to December 30th. And I thought, God, that's the worst time to fast. I mean, that's, that's like the best eating time of the year. You don't want to fast during that time. Like, there's things that people make for Christmas dinners that are never made all year long. But that's the one day they'll make it. And I said, if you would have asked me, God, it would be like January 2nd to February 2nd. Like, that's the time that I would love to fast. But I said, sure, I'll do that. And... Um, so I was preparing mentally and emotionally. I thought, oh, man, there's, there's some awesome stuff that's going to happen during this fasting time. There's going to be, man, I can't wait for these encounters with God. I can't wait. There's probably going to be angelic visitations. There's going to be, like, downloads from heaven. Maybe I'm, my friends get, like, words for the year every year from the Lord. You know, I'm like, maybe I'm going to get a word every, you know, for the year. You know, it's like, this is what God's doing. I just had all these different things. And um, so I'm preparing. I, you know, I go in my prayer closet. I just... You know, and, and I, and I you know, get, in, get the music on, you know, I got, got quiet and I'm, I shut the door and I'm like, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Yeah. See, no one wants to illustrate waiting, right? What do you want to say, God? Are you there? Is something I do wrong? Is there a sin I, you need to, you know, what, what's going on? And the reality is that for those 30 days, I really didn't hear anything from the Lord. Nothing. Not a word. Now, I knew things like that the Lord loved me, that I was his son, that, you know, he died, you know, for me. Like, I, there, there was principles that I always know 
you know, what the word says and what the Lord says about us as people. But I'm talking about the Lord actually speaking to me and having this devotional connection. There was nothing of that. And I, at first I was getting desperate. I was like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my life? Why is that God not speaking to me? Did I hear wrong? What's going on? But I realized that as I was waiting on the Lord, there was this intimacy building between us. There was this trust. There was this strength because he was teaching me how to wait. Look, I'm just, I'm going to do a play on words. I can do this in the English language. And since we kind of speak the same language, I will try this. But the reality is, is if, if, if I were to go to the gym, I might look like I can bench press, I don't know, 200 kilos. I don't know how much that is even. I don't know these conversions. I could do it, right? I could do it, right? I, I mean, I look like it, right? Is 100 kilos a lot? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Look like I can bench 100 kilos. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I can't. I really can't. I, you know, um, maybe I can't. But if I went every day or every other day and I took a lot of supplements, maybe some steroids, I don't know. But eventually, eventually I'd be able to bench press 100 kilos. And listen, when you weight train with the Lord. See, sometimes God wants to give you a word, but you're not ready to receive it yet. And it would be too weighty for you to receive it. But if you wait train with him, you'll be able to carry it as he trusts you and you build intimacy with him. Intimacy is so important when it comes to knowing Jesus. It's not just about being in church. It's not just about having the Christian tag. It's really knowing Jesus and who he is. And sometimes that looks like waiting on him. There's something that we all have that is invaluable. It's the most priceless thing we have. You'll never get, you can't buy more of it. You can't buy less of it. It's, 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 it's one thing. You're, everyone's given a different lot of it. And it's the, it's the most valuable thing that you own. And that's your time. It's priceless. Your time is priceless. You need to start thinking about that in regards to how much time we spend on the phone and, and, and on other pointless things. Because actually, you're giving something that's invaluable. It's allotted to you. We don't know how much everyone has, but we, have, we do have it. And when, you, when you're waiting on the Lord... What you're doing is you're giving to God the most valuable thing he gave you. All right. Sometimes we're not doing anything wrong. Sometimes when we're waiting on the Lord, he's still waiting to give us what we need but we're just not in the right position yet. Now, I can't use American football as an example, but you guys play, I don't know, soccer. Maybe, maybe this is the same. But it's, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're the one who needs to receive the ball, and the person who wants to kick it to you knows that if they kick it too soon, you won't be able to cut that angle or get it at the right time to actually score a goal. So they're waiting to release it. And sometimes we're going in the right direction. We're doing the right things, but the Lord's still waiting to release it. Yeah. 
the word. Because then when, you, when, when you're in the right position, when it's the right time, you'll be able to, to score a goal. One, Psalm 123, verse 2. I think I gave that to you. Did I not give that to you? Okay, that's all right. It's in your Bibles. You can open it. Techno- this is old technology right here. My friend, he said... Uh, he was preaching one day, and he says, I got my tablet right here. And, and, you know, of course, you assume, like, iPad or something. It was a writing tablet. It's like the first, first tablet. I'm like, oh, yeah, those, those are tablets. Okay. Psalm 123, verse 2, it says this. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. And the reality is we cannot despise the waiting because in the waiting, we are being prepared for the weighty things of God. And when I didn't hear him one day during that time of fasting and praying, I get excited because then I prepared myself for a weightier thing another day. Now, when it comes to to waiting on the Lord, and when it comes to managing our waiting and managing our process, we need to learn how to manage our process. And it always seems that in front of a promised land, there's a desert. In, in scripture, in our own lives, there's always a journeying through desert times to hit that promised land. And, uh, and I love the, the story uh, in Genesis 29. Um, the whole chapter, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but I encourage you later, read the whole chapter Check it out. It's before Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. So it's before Exodus. But um, read, read uh, Genesis 29. And it's a story about Jacob. Now, Jacob is fleeing where he was from because he you know, stole his brother's birthright. His mom's like, you need to go to the land where I'm from. Find your wife. You know, find my family. And so he goes to that land, the land of Hebron. And he goes into the center square. And he's talking to some shepherd's boys. And, uh, and in the center square, there's a well. And, this, and I'm just paraphrasing here. This fine-looking young lady comes up to the well. And Jacob's like, this is Paul's version, okay? Jacob's like, who is that? And the shepherd boys are like, oh, her? That's Rachel. And he's so enamored with Rachel. He goes over to Rachel and, you know, he's like, who are you? And they introduce himself and he finds out that's his cousin. But, you know, he's in love with her. But, you know, we'll just glaze over that. Um, In some southern U.S. states, it's okay. But in biblical times, it's okay. But but anyway, we'll go forward. And he says, "Um, you know, so they're in love with you. So he... He, uh, he goes back to Rachel's house where his, his uncle Laban lives. And, um, and, and he's so in love with Rachel. It says, now only a, ba- a, a young man in love would do this. He shows up to Rachel's house every day to work for her father for 30 days straight for free. And Laban's feeling like, man, I'm, you're, my, you're, you're my blood. So he finally confronts, he says, look, I, Jacob, I cannot give you money for free. You're my, you're my nephew. I know my sister's going to kill me. What, what do you want your wages to be? And Jacob says, give me Rachel. And Laban says, fine, work for me for seven years, and I will give you Rachel. That was the promise to Jacob. So Jacob, it says that he was so in love that the seven years felt like weeks, just in bliss, waiting for this promise. Now, I don't know what happened at that wedding party? We're not going to go into details. You know, the Bible, it's so great because it leaves the ugly in everything too. 
It's not the perfect story that we always think it should be. But it says that Laban, who ends up being a little bit of a shyster, sends in Leah, his other daughter, instead of Rachel. Jacob didn't notice. And I love how every translation says the same word here. It says that in the morning, when Jacob woke up, behold, Leah. Hey, I've been to conferences. I've had, you know, I, I, before I was ever in ministry, I just, I dedicated my life to Jesus. God saved me right out of a bar. It was just such a tragic story. And, and God just had this redemption on my life. And I was so excited. And I had all these conferences. And, and I, I remember, you know, saying, oh, God, I'm going to go to ministry school. And I thought ministry school was, you know, going to be so great, you know, that they would be blessed to have me there. And, and, uh, and I found, you know, because I think I'm fine. I'm just going to go to ministry. And I find out the first year of ministry school, they're just working on me because I was a broken person. Broken. Just constantly challenging me, constantly make me reassess my life. And, and, and I'm just like, okay. And, uh, and so I get all these, these, finally, I get this opportunity to be Randy Clark's intern. Now, everyone wanted to be Randy Clark's intern, but you had to be nominated by a staff member so that no one would ever, like, because everyone would apply for it. So they nominated me, and through this long process, I finally, you know, got approved to be his, his intern, and I just thought, you know, I was the gift to the world, you know, and I'm like... <laughs> And so they, they show me this whole, you know, all, I mean, Global Awakenings headquarters with, with this massive, beautiful offices, and, and they have a, a warehouse uh, full of different things. And so they show me to everyone, they're like, oh, this is Randy Clark's new intern. And I'm like, hey, how you doing, Paul Martini? How's it going? Nice to meet you. You know, and this is the director of this. Hey, how you doing? I'm Paul Martini, Randy Clark's intern. How's it going? And, uh, you know, I'm just looking at all these beautiful offices. And then they take me over to that warehouse where they have like pallets and pallets of books. Global Awakening has one of the travel, largest traveling bookstores in the world. And so if you ever go to one of their conferences, it's just really awesome. Um, and so uh, then uh, they take me to this warehouse. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. What am I going to manage, you know, part of this? And, and they're like, and they hand me a tape gun. You know what a tape gun is? It's, it puts tape over the boxes, and right? That's what you guys call it, probably? Okay. Behold, Leah. This was Leah. I found out that an intern is not the highest. It's the lowest. Unpaid. In the, in the warehouse, working, you know, hours well beyond other people at night. And I, they had have me call, set up meetings, you know, pack boxes for all the books that were going out to all the conferences. I was this unknown. I, w- I trained for two years in a ministry school, and they put me in the back in a warehouse, never seen, doing a lot of grinding work, and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. You know, you would think Laban, you would say, Laban, what, a, what an evil man he was. And, you know, maybe he was. But when you think of it from a father's perspective, this is a, a dad who had two daughters. And in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, in the culture there, if the oldest daughter was not married, if the younger daughter married before the older daughter, the older daughter would never get married. And so as a father, he said this. He said, listen, love Leah. Love my daughter, and I will give you Rachel after another seven years. I mean, of course, that's the shyster, you know, but 
But he, he really had a love for both of his daughters, and he wanted them both married, and so this, is, this was his plan. Now, what's, what's really going to get us, and what got me, was this. In Genesis 29, 31, it says this. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Listen. When, and, and some translations, the ESV gets this translation right. Some translations soften it and say she was unloved. The original Hebrew says hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Listen, when you hate your process, your promise will always be barren. Unless you learn to love your process, your promise won't, won't come. See, it's not enough to just tolerate your process. That's what I did for years. I'm just, to- I'm just waiting for this season to be over so I can get to the next season. But I realized that I actually had to stop tolerating my process and start loving my process. Because it's in loving your process that your promise comes to you. I realized this in the warehouse working late nights, watching everyone else go home, and I'm just staying there. And I had the temptation to start resenting things, to start being bitter about it, to being like, man, I was baited and switched. They nominated me, made me go through this whole process, and then they put me in a warehouse. Pretty, pretty annoying. But then I was challenged by the Lord. Paul, you should love this process. See, I thought I was ready. I thought I was ready. God, I did everything you said. I'm ready. Give me the mic, God. Give me, I, I, get me on stage. Whatever it might be, whatever your image of what that promise is, I thought I, I, want, I was ready for it. See, the Lord knew there was things in me that needed to be worked out. And they wouldn't be able to be worked out unless I started loving the process he put me in. So, I started loving the process. I started to, I said, well, I'm going to commit myself to be the best box taper ever that this ministry had. And I was, I mean, I, I taped the sides, I taped the corners that it would always break as people threw the boxes. Or I, I mean, we never had a box break when I was there. It was just a perfect time. People, people, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, yeah. If you ever need boxes taped up, let me know. I'll come, I'll help you move. It'd be great. So, so this this was what I committed to, the, the phone calls I had to make. I just wanted to be the best at it. And as I did, things were opening up. Now, what's, more, what's so significant about Leah is the first four children she had. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Now, what's so significant, not just about their names, but what their names mean. Reuben means to see. Simeon means to hear. Levi means to be at one with And Judah means to praise. See, and whenever you love your process, you get to see him, hear him, be at one with him, and praise him no matter the condition. And once you get that, it opens up your Joseph, who came through Rachel, who's the epitome of anointing wisdom, knowledge, and influence. And so loving your process is so important to finding the promise. And, and I, 
And I want to just also submit to you that what I thought was a promise ends up not being the promise at all that God was preparing me for. I was, um, I was going through that fasting time in 2016. Well, in 2017, I find myself in Washington State University. Uh, I was doing a small meeting nearby, and uh, I was invited to come out. I did that for a weekend, and there was literally nothing to do in this little town. This town's called Pullman, Washington. The, the town is what you would call like a farming, agricultural town. It's kind of like one house, farmland, one house, farmland. And they would have like a little church there that I was helping in. And so on our break, we had dinner and there was some time left before the next meeting. We went to the university and it's a university town. There's 32,000 students at this one university. It's what we call division one school. They have division one basketball, division one football. Um, And so we thought, oh, it's a sight to see. So why don't we go to see this Washington State University? As soon as we go on to the university, we felt a spirit of suicide on the university. We, uh, were, we were just kind of navigating through there. We wanted to go to the library. It was closed. So we went to like the cafe bookstore area. There was a bunch of students there. Outside the uh, bathroom, we found this young man crying. We went, hey, what's going on? Because we're, you know, we're just trying to witness, share the Lord. And he's, he's like, well, um, one of the students on the campus, we just found out, committed suicide. Um, they had a pharmacy on, like these universities, they have fast food restaurants and pharmacies and sometimes grocery stores on the campus because they're so big. And, uh, and so one of the managers of the pharmacy was a student. He had committed suicide and um, news broke and, you know, he was crying. And so we, we ministered to him and um, we just, we, we ended up leaving. And while we're driving, I see the stadium of the university and I see myself point to it as we're driving by. And I say, I wonder how much it would cost to rent that. And I was so shocked that I said that. That was like I put my own hand down. Like, what? <laughs> like, it was so just following the Lord. Because the reason why it was so shocking is I never rented a university before. And even if I wanted to, I don't have any money to rent a stadium. And so... I just knew that the Lord had just kind of tested me there. And now I've gone through seasons of trusting the Lord. So I just, so I, I just thought, oh, this is a test from God. So I'm just going to look at the calendar and see, well, if I were to rent it what, would it, what would the date be that I would need? And you can see that all the football games and basketball games on the calendar for the, the following year. And I saw that there was one date that there was no football game. There was no basketball game. It was one Friday night, August uh, 24th, I believe. And I said, okay, I'm going to see if that night's open. So I have no connections. I don't know any. I, I literally make the coldest cold call. I go on the website. I look up the uh, event director for the stadium. I call. I leave a message. And I hang up and I go, wow, I'm so glad I passed that test. <laughs> because no one's really going to uh, respond to that. And I get, a, I get a call back. I'm on speakerphone with the director and the assistant director of the university. I say, hey, Paul, uh, got your voicemail. Uh, what is Global Awakening? What is this ministry? It was a Randy Clark ministry at the time. What, what is this? I said, oh, we're a, we're a Christian organization. I'm just, I was just calling because I was just wondering if this one date was available. This date is, is like literally seven months away, so it's really highly unlikely it wouldn't have been available. And to rent stadiums, I have friends who have rented stadiums. They're like big-time speakers. Um, they're about $100,000 a night. I mean, they're expensive. Um, and so I was just saying, I, I just wanted to know if that date was open. And, you know, we, uh, he said, yeah. He goes, um, 
what do you plan to do? And I said, he, he wanted to know if we were a political organization because that was, they get a lot of protesters. And he's like, didn't want that. And I said, oh, no, we're, we're a Christian organization. And I didn't even have it planned out that far. I was just like, <laughs> I just started, these things started coming to my mind. And I just thought, I'm going to say these are faith statements because if they're not in faith, they're bold lies. I was like, we're, uh, we're planning on, uh, you know, having, um, you know, Christian, uh, 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 popular Christian people give their testimony about hope and, and what Jesus can offer. And, and uh, I said, you know, maybe some celebrities that are Christian can come and, and you know, actors, musicians. And, and uh, I said, but I was just even wondering if that day was available. And he goes, huh. He goes, I hear him lean back on his chair and goes, you know, it's interesting. I like what you guys are doing. I, he goes, that, that date is available. It's the only date available left in our calendar. I said, wow. Well, h- how much would it be? Because I know that they would be, I know this would cut us out of the deal, right? So, and, uh, you know, I hear him rocking on his chair like, eh? you know, like an old spring-loaded chair. And uh, he said, I think I can get you a st- the, the stadium for that one night with the stage and some lights. He goes, well, he said, could I sell food there? I said, you can sell all the food you want. He goes, are you going to charge for this event? I said, no, it'd be free. He said, I think I can get this for you for 7500 Now, I didn't have, have 7500 but I had faith for that. I said, can you hold it for two weeks? Because I still have to find out how to get celebrities and all this stuff. So uh, I call my friend who I just met, who was the NBA All-Star chaplain for the NBA All-Star team that year. And I said, hey, I know we just met, but I just want you to know what happened. I told him the same story. He said, you got a stadium seven months away for 7,500? That's incredible. He says, let me see what, he says, this is God. Let me see what I'm going to do. Well, he calls me a couple minutes later. He says, I just talked to uh, Sean Alexander. He was an MVP running back for the NFL Seattle Seahawks that's in Washington State. He said, "Uh, I just got him on the phone. He's an awesome Christian. He says he would do it. I said, I have no money. He says, it's for the gospel. He doesn't want money. Then he called me back. He says, I also have Antoine Randall L., who's a Super Bowl MVP wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He said he wants to do it. And then we were on phones with agents. It just God was just opening doors of popular musicians and rock stars and, who were Christian. And some of them wanted us to pay, and we just didn't have the money for it. But we ended up getting actors and actresses and uh, uh, football players who would come on the uh, campus, share the gospel with all the football team, all the basketball team, and invite them to that night, which we called Hope Fest. And, and I said, God, why would you ever do this? Why would you give me this opportunity? I'm not the, like, evangelist uh, crusade guy. i just not, you know. And, but this is an amazing opportunity. Thank you for doing it. I can't wait because in my newsletter, I'll be able to say how many people I brought to Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to count both hands when they raise them. No, I'm just kidding. But that's really, I was like, man, God's getting me to, I'm going to be launched. I'm going to, everyone's going to know who I am. I'm going to, then I'll go stadium after stadium after stadium. And the Lord said, Paul, don't name it anything with your ministry. So we named it the most generic name. We didn't even put Global Awakening's name on it. They allowed that to happen. It's just called Hope Fest. And they said, Paul, are you the best evangelist you know? I said, no. He said, you should pick someone who you know who would be amazing at it. So I did. And I, not that one time that thousands of students came, hundreds gave their life to Jesus. We even had a, an after party where we baptized them in, in water troughs that farmers donated. But I wasn't allowed to touch it. 
I just did all the work. And I'll tell you what, the only thing that prepared me for something so hard and challenging was loving the process and waiting on the Lord, building that intimacy. And I'll tell you, the the outpouring that's going to come to your church, to your life, to your family, if you're not prepared to hold it, it'll just run through. If you're not prepared to steward it, and it has to do with you being able and willing to manage and love the process that God's put you in. Because I just want to submit this to you. We all thought the promise was Rachel. But who did the greatest promise of all promises come from? Leah. Jesus Christ came through the family line of Leah, not Rachel. And I just want you to know the process you think that's going to get you to a promise, God even has a greater promise for you. Why don't you stand? I know we all have plans probably for our amazing wives and moms. But this might have been resonating with you. Maybe the Lord, the Holy Spirit's been just prompting your heart saying, hey, this applies to you. Because I know it applies to me. I also found out that when I thought I was done my process, I was just ready for another process. (laughs) Right? We're all in process. But I I would love to pray for you corporately. And then if anyone wants prayer personally, I'll invite you up. Um, Chris, do you want me to give this to you first? Or do you want me to keep going? Okay, I'll, I'll give you guys a prayer. Yep. All right, so if, if, if this prayer is something that I'm going to ask you to do something, maybe a little strange, I just want you to close your eyes, bow your head, and I just want you to hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. If you want, you don't have to, but Holy Spirit, God, you're so good to me. You're so good to us. I don't deserve it. We're all equal at the cross. No one's greater than anyone else. We're all equals. Holy Spirit, I want to give you my life every day. Lord, we give you our lives. If this prayer resonates with you, just just mean it. And Lord, we just want to give you our process. Lord, a lot of us have been hating or tolerating our process, but Jesus, I just want to repent for doing that. We repent for tolerating where you've put us. Lord, I want to see where you are in this process. And I want to love it. God, would you take everything out of me that needs to be worked out of me that's not of you. So you can prepare us for the promise of our life. Lord, I pray that there would be such a commitment on our part to upholding loving our Leah may we see you may we hear you may we be at one with you may we praise you even in the worst of circumstances so that nothing can keep us away from living a fulfilled life in you so Lord I bless everyone here I thank you. May you fill us with your spirit. May we be empowered by your spirit. And may we go with the goodness of the gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Jesus, Jesus.